Thank you, Chad. Well, it's wonderful to be back with you all again. I think in a lot of ways you can um, think of this sermon as an invitation into the season of Lent. I'm glad that you're thinking about Lent and talking about Lent. Obviously, the most important moments in the, in the Christian story is Good Friday and Easter, the death of Jesus and his resurrection. And Lent is a, a season of, of preparation, sometimes called even this kind of bright sadness, a season of, of repentance and, and preparation as we anticipate what happens at, at Easter. And, and much of our life is actually kind of a Lent, where we are in the middle of difficulty and hardships and pain and suffering and anticipating, hoping for the resurrection to come. So the text we're going to look at today is John 11, which is almost this mini Lenten experience for Mary and Martha and Lazarus. I'm going to jump around this text a little bit. If you have a Bible, you can look at it in, in John 11, but, but really we're going to take it a bit out of order, um, but we'll, we'll be in John 11 if you want to uh, uh, follow along there. So, so Bethany was a, a small town about two miles um, outside of Jerusalem, and, and some of Jesus' closest friends lived there. Isn't that kind of amazing to think that Jesus had close friends? He had some best friends, normal guy in a lot of ways. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were some of those closest friends. And in this moment, Lazarus was sick. Now, we don't know how long Lazarus was sick, but it had gotten bad, and it had gotten so bad that Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus. Now, they knew that Jesus loved Lazarus, um, that he cared deeply for him, and they knew that Jesus could heal. They had, they had seen his power, not just heard it, but actually seen it. And they also knew that Jesus was close. He was in Bethany, which is only a day's journey away. So they sent a messenger, and then they waited. Now, think of that moment. Put yourself in this, in this story. That moment when they knew things were desperate and they made the decision to send for Jesus. Now, I imagine that there might have been a, a sense of, of relief in that moment. You know, Jesus can solve this. I imagine they waited with hope, holding Lazarus' hand and maybe even whispering to him, it's just, it's just a matter of time now. Jesus is coming. He's close. He will heal you. You know how much he cares about you. You know how powerful he is. And they waited. Jesus is going to come. And then they waited. Hours. And then a day. And they waited. And then Lazarus was getting worse. Jesus, where, where are you? Their hope in Jesus now turning to despair. And, and really even to horror as they watched their brother take his last breath. And as they watched the color drain from his face, he's, he's dead? How could this happen? Jesus, where, where were you? Why did you not come? Do you not care about us the way that we thought you cared about us? Was this sickness, was it too much for your power? Jesus, why? Jesus, you let our brother, who we loved, die. Now, at, at some level, to some degree, 
we've all experienced something like this. Now, it may not have been a, a loved one that we watched slip away. Maybe it was our, our dreams, our hopes. It was the life, the vocation, the, the marriage, the children, the health that we thought we were going to have that Jesus allowed death to swallow up. Maybe we have the same kind of questions, if we're honest. And this is much of what Lent is about, this kind of introspection, this kind of serious looking at pain and suffering and our difficulties and being honest with our questions. Jesus, are you, are you, are you powerful enough for this pain and difficulty that I'm facing? Or, or Jesus, do you really not care about my pain and suffering the ways that I would want? Am I really alone in all of this? So what do we do with those kinds of questions? These are the questions woven in to this passage of the scripture. Jesus lets what we love die, and then he still calls us to to trust him and to follow him. Now let's sit with that for a moment. Is he crazy to ask that? Surely Mary and Martha ask these questions. And, and, and so do we. So these are the questions that we'll look at in this passage. Jesus, are you powerful? Jesus, do you, do you care? And then Jesus, why would you let this happen? So let's look at this first question. Jesus, are you powerful? Again, we're in John 11. Jesus arrives in Bethany and Lazarus has already died. Martha, one of Lazarus' sisters, receives word that he's coming and she runs out to meet him. And this is John 11, verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She misunderstands him. She already believes there will be a resurrection of all God's people in the future at the end of time. And she thinks that is what Jesus must be referring to. So she has the right theological answer, the right biblical answer. In verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now here's the the key question of the passage. Jesus asked, "Do do you trust me? Martha. Which seems... Almost offensive, doesn't it? Her brother's just passed away. Jesus says, looks at her in the eyes and in her suffering and pain says, do you trust me? What's going on in her mind? Now we know from other stories about Martha, she has the right answers, the right religious answers, the right theological answers, the right biblical answers. So she, of course, says yes. But I wonder if that's part of what Jesus is doing, pushing in to some of the categories here. Do you trust me? Now, it is good and right that Martha believes there will be a resurrection in the future. But Jesus is suggesting to her that what if the future reality was not just an event, but a person with unlimited resurrection power? And what if that person stood before you? How would that change this day? Jesus changes her categories. The resurrection isn't just a future event but it's a person with power to resurrect. It's not an event of the future. It's me. I am the resurrection 
and the life. Jesus has not just come down from heaven to earth, as we often hear. He has come from the future. He has brought a picture of what the future will be like into the present. The theologian Michael Williams writes this. He says, The bodily resurrection not only signifies God's victory over sin and death, but also declares the nature of that victory. It is total, comprehensive, so comprehensive, he writes, that it, that it claims that history is moving towards nothing less than a fully restored and glorified universe. This was the mission of Jesus, to live a perfect life of, of love and loyalty to God, and then to die on the cross in order to take the punishment that, that we all deserve for living lives of distrust and rebellion against God. Jesus is the champion that wins God's victory over sin and death for all who entrust their life to him. Jesus promises, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. But why would Martha believe this? In that context, in that moment, why would Martha believe this? Jesus, if you are the resurrection of life, what about my dead brother in the tomb? And of course, if you know the story, Jesus is about to give Martha a small picture of his power. The future resurrection that all of the universe is moving towards, now in her present, the future brought into this moment. He's about to show her that her future is guaranteed, that the best is yet to come, that confidence in his power can transform her every day. The, the dialogue with, with Jesus and Mary ends, then Mary comes to Jesus, or the dialogue with Martha and Jesus ends, then Mary comes to Jesus, which we're going to re return to in just a moment. And finally, Jesus goes to the tomb. And I wonder if he said anything to the sisters, to Martha, in that moment. Maybe with compassion, he looks at her and he says, you have the right theological answers. Let me show you a picture of the person behind those theological answers. Let me show you my power that you can trust in. And then verse 43 of chapter 11, Jesus cries out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So if the question of this passage, and for us, is Jesus, are you powerful? What's the answer from this text? It's, it's yes. Yes, more than you can imagine, he is powerful. He raised Lazarus from the dead, and he will raise us. Can we trust Jesus even when he lets what we love die? But his power is only one of the questions. And, and I think from this passage, Martha interacts with Jesus about this question because it's the easiest religious and theological question. If I came here today and I said, is Jesus powerful? Y'all be like, yes, he's powerful. Yeah, he's power. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Okay, got it. But having that make contact in the middle of our difficulty and suffering and disappointment, that's a totally different thing. Is Jesus powerful? Yes, the passage would say. But I think this is an even more difficult question. Jesus, we know you're powerful, but do, but do you care? Do you care? about what we're in? Jesus, do you have my best interests, our best interests at heart? You are powerful, but I'm in pain here. 
I am suffering here and now. Jesus, I believe, I know my future is guaranteed. I know the best is yet to come. I know the right theological answer. But what about, what about today? What about this afternoon? What about tonight? If you are so powerful and I am still suffering, how can I believe that you really care about me? Now that question may be deep in us. And it may be so deep in us that it informs how we feel and think about God, how we feel and think about ourselves, how we feel and think about others kind of hidden below the surface. This text is meant to to draw that up. And that'll be deep in us, all of us in some ways. So so in this moment, if you feel the the freedom to do it, if you feel the, the ability, the trust to do it, let that feeling rise to the surface. Jesus, I know you're powerful, but what about my pain? Why didn't you why didn't you have your power come to bear here? Why didn't you answer my prayer when I prayed? What Jesus, do you really care about me? See if you can let that question rise up and let's see how this text answers that. So John 11:32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, She fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Do you hear the pain in that question? The the, the Bible is a visceral, emotional book. It doesn't sugarcoat. Right here we have the pain of a sister accusing Jesus of not doing what he should have done. She falls at his feet. She weeps and says, where were you? You're a day away. Were we supposed to carry our brother? Were you too, is that what we should have done? Why couldn't you have come? We knew where you were. Why didn't you use your power? Jesus, I thought you loved us. If you followed Jesus for more than a week, a month, You've probably asked this question, Jesus, I thought you loved me. This is happening, I thought you loved me. What, where are you? Look with me if you're in the passage at John eleven thirty three, 33, or just close your eyes and, and listen. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. Now, the the Greek word for for, uh, greatly moved here, it's it's visceral. It's meant to connote something strongly felt, deeply negative. The word can be used of a a snorting horse, powerful and full-bodied, head-shaking. That's the image. The word translated greatly troubled means to literally shake, to be in turmoil. So this is the image. Close your eyes and imagine it. Jesus finally face to face with the magnitude of the pain and suffering caused by the death of Lazarus. Jesus is shaking. He's outraged at death and sickness. And then he bursts into tears. Bursts into tears. He doesn't say, it will be fine Things will get better. 
Time will heal. No, he, he rages and he weeps. He moves into the middle of their suffering and their pain and he becomes one of the mourners. Picture yourself at that funeral. Cl- close your eyes just for a moment and imagine that scene. Mary at, her, at his feet, Jesus taking in the pain of the crowd, Jesus' own response, what his face looks like, the tears down his eyes, the snot out of his nose, his body shaking. Imagine that moment, his love for Lazarus and, and, and Martha and Mary, and then ask the question, does, does Jesus care? Does he care? Oh. There's, no, there's no question in this passage. There's no question. Jesus is fully emotionally present in that moment. He is suffering with those who suffer. He is weeping with those who weep. He is not distant. They are not alone. And neither are we. At that gravesite, Jesus entered into their suffering first. And then he raises Lazarus from the dead. There's a lot of ways that we might have written this story. If we weren't just observing it and trying to record what happened, there's a lot of ways we might have done that. It, it might have been the hero coming in and immediately raising Lazarus from the dead and telling people not to worry. Imagine how you might have written this story. But what we see here is that he rages and mourns, and then he uses his power to raise Lazarus. And, and I think there's a sense in which what we, what we can see in this passage is that when we too have to wait, and this is what the season of Lent is about, it's about waiting for the resurrection power to come. It's about waiting for Jesus to raise what we love from the grave. And in that moment, as we wait in pain and suffering and difficulty, out of control, we can have confidence that he will enter into that suffering and mourn with us and wait with us. This is not a picture of a God far away. It's not the picture of a God who's just powerful, but one who is close and intimate and personal. Where have we loved and lost? Is it the death of a loved one? Is it the death of a relationship, whether it's our fault or their fault? Have we come face to face with our own personal failure, our own personal weakness in such a way that it seems like we have lost the person we thought that we were? Is it our marriage? Is it our children? Our vocation? Do we have those? Do we not have those things and we want them? Or do we have those things and they're crushing us? Where is Jesus not using his power today to relieve your suffering and pain? Just ask that question of yourself right now. Now it's it's going to be true for all of us in, in some different ways. But where today, this morning, right now, is Jesus not using his power to relieve your suffering and pain? Bring that event, that relationship, that personal failing, whatever it is, bring, bring that to mind if you're brave. <laughs> and talk to him the way Mary did. The Bible is inviting you, Jesus is inviting you to talk to Jesus the way Mary did. Whether it's this afternoon, whether it's sometime this week, 
Whatever that issue is, where you know that Jesus is not using his power in this moment to relieve your pain, find some time to fall at his feet and say, Jesus, where were you? If you had been here, what I loved would not have died. Pray this prayer that Mary prays. And let's not pretend it's okay. Let's not pretend we have it all together. Let's mourn our loss at the feet of Jesus. This is part of the Lenten experience, what you're being invited to do. How many of us, myself included, have left behind real healing and growth because we did not mourn our losses with Jesus. We try to run from our pain and it burdens us forever. We pretend that our pain doesn't exist, so we bury it. We bury it under food and sex and work and a million other things. We run, but we know this, our pain is faster than us, and it never grows tired. Jesus is more powerful, and he is with us. This passage is inviting all of us to mourn our losses with Jesus at his feet. And then to see his face, strong and weathered and weeping with us. So let us all find the space and the time, even today, to come to Jesus this way. One of your announcements was that Lent is a time to give space for pain to breathe. I would encourage you to process your pain and suffering with Jesus. Our question for this passage is, Jesus, do you care? And what's the answer? Yes, yes, more than you can imagine he cares. Jesus is here with us in the middle hour of our suffering and he's calling us to look at him. So can we trust Jesus when he lets what we love die? Okay, one last question. So Jesus shows himself to be powerful in the passage and he shows himself to care deeply. Here is the tricky one. Then why? Why, Jesus? Now, put yourself back in the scene with Mary and Martha. I I, I imagine days later, I mean, Lazarus is alive now. Jesus is there. They're hanging out, okay? Right? They're like having a barbecue. They're having some meals together. What do you talk about around the meal? So, Jesus, we know that you're powerful, clearly. Thank you for that, by the way. We haven't thanked you already. We know that you care about us. Then why why did you let that happen? Why did you let Lazarus die? It was so so hard. It was so painful. Why did you let that happen? We get some hints from the passage. In John 11, Jesus tells his disciples that Lazarus' illness and his death is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And glory means to, to shine a light on something so that others would see its greatness, resulting in the praise and, and honor and loving appreciation of its beauty. Jesus allowed Lazarus to die so that he and his father would be glorified. That, that is a, 
answer-ish. I don't know if that's super emotionally satisfying, but it gets us kind of an answer a little bit. Um, this is closely tied to something else. We also see in, in John 11, uh, 14 through 15, Jesus told them plainly, the text says, Lazarus has died, and, and for your sake, I am glad that he was talking to his disciples. Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. There's some kind of sense in which Jesus allowed Lazarus to die so his disciples would deepen their trust in him. And then again in, in 11, chapter 11, verse 45, we see many of, of the Jews uh, had come to, had, who had come with Mary had seen what he did, Jesus, and believed in him. So there's other things happening. I'm not sure that that's going to be emotionally satisfying to Mary or Martha. Uh, Jesus, is there other ways maybe we could be glorified? Is there some other ways that we could kind of, you know, get other people to believe? Is there another way that we could do this? Which is a completely legitimate question. Who else asked that question? Jesus asked that same question only a couple of days later at the cross. Lord, if there's another way, let's do the other way, right? But I think the principle that we see here is that our suffering is only part of an unfolding story. Now, it is true when we're in the middle of suffering, it's all that we can sometimes feel and think. It, it consumes us, and that's completely reasonable. It's totally understandable. There's nothing wrong with that. And hopefully when you're in the midst of pain and suffering, you can do that in a community where lots of people can love you and support you as your suffering in a lot of ways consumes your, your emotions. And there's a season for that. But I think as we pan back, we see that, that their suffering is part of an unfolding story. And there is more going, going on in their suffering, with their suffering, around their suffering then, then Jesus could probably even hope to explain to them in that moment. When my son Wyatt was two years old, who he's now 15 and like four inches taller than me, which is not saying much. I'm not a very tall guy. But it's one thing to look up to your son and be like, oh, goodness. Um, the other day I grabbed him from behind to hug him and, and I said, and he's like, dad, let me go. I'm like, no, man, I love you. I'm going to hug you. You're, you're my little baby. And then he stopped and looked at me and says, you're my baby now. Look down at me. <laughs> but when he was still a little tiny guy, two years old, he came down with this ferocious fever and we couldn't, we couldn't control it and it just wouldn't break. And we were new parents. We were scared. He's our, he's our first he was burning up. He was listless. He was suffering. On the advice of a doctor, we took him to, to the ER, and, and they needed to put an IV in his arm for fluids and for medicine. And, and Wyatt was aware enough as a two-year-old um, to be terrified, right? To be, he's crying. He was twisting. He was doing everything his feverish little two-year-old mind could think of to escape. And it was, it was terrible. It was hard to watch. You know, I tried to comfort him, and he just wouldn't calm down. And so for the doctors to put the IV in, they needed, that, that Wyatt needed to get better, they needed him to stop moving. And, and they asked me to hold him down. Now think of this moment. Oh gosh, he must have thought I was a monster. Not only did he have a, a two-year-old mind, but he's feverish, so he's not even thinking clearly even as a two-year-old. Can you imagine your dad, big and strong, laying on top of you so that these evil doctors could bring further pain to your arm 
I was so much more powerful than him. And, and with tears in my eyes, I, I gently but with power laid my body across him and held his little arms down. And it was terrible. It was terrible. And in that moment with my son, who is suffering pain from a sickness that's out of his control, it's not supposed to be that way, and now he's suffering the pain and difficulty of confusion over what's happening around him. He's suffering the pain and difficulty of someone jamming something into his arm. It just seems like a terrible horror show. And it's almost if I'm whispering in his ear, I want to say to Wyatt, there's more happening in your suffering now, around your suffering, with your suffering, than I could even hope to explain to you. Will, will you, in this moment, my son that I love, Will you trust me? Know that I'm powerful. Know that I love you deeply. And know that this moment of suffering is part of an unfolding story, the end of which is resurrection and beauty and healing and hope. This is the message of Lent and of Easter and what it means to follow Jesus, who is powerful, who does care for you deeply, and who is guaranteeing your future no matter what you face today. Let us pray. Jesus, we, we kind of believe that. Ish. So what we ask is that you would burn this story into our mind. That we would see you powerful. But we would see you weeping with us and we would see you pointing to the future where our hope is guaranteed give us that experience this Lent this Easter bury it deep in us may it be our very identity a loving God with us and a resurrection hope is our future in Jesus name we pray amen